Hey there, welcome to Mission Critical, a podcast about technology, people and culture. I'm Matt Ryan, digital marketing strategist, and with me as always is Curtis Selleck, finance consultant and semi-professional interior decorator. Curtis, <laughs> you've had a big day. How does it feel going semi-pro? Uh, you know, when you, when you watch that many YouTube videos on how to do things around the house. How to paint a wall. Yeah, or how to do the most simplistic things, because yep. you spend your life behind a keyboard, not behind a paintbrush. Yep. You have no viable skills no. to offer the marketplace. But, but I, I see the value in, um, in hiring people that are experts in these yep. fields. <laughs> uh, if there's a pro tip from this uh, podcast, it is hire people that know what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. Or, or try to learn, but, but have know, a backup. be ready for failure. Um, I'm surprised that um, in painting your house today, you wouldn't have tried to attach some sort of painting uh, implement to your drone and use that to fly all day. Uh, I reckon my wife would have killed me. Yep. But, you know... It's it, a first coat. Yeah, that's right. We, first coat's down. The, yep. the first coat's always the hardest, as they say. Yep. I think The first cut is the deepest. Yeah. The first coat is the hardest. <laughs> um, I was Stanley knifing the wall. No, it's... Uh, yeah, no, so it's, it's been an interesting day, mate. Uh, I think... Uh, I really appreciated the how knowledge is appropriated these days. You, I couldn't have done that without YouTube. Like I am a visual learner. Um, I need to see the results, and to have read, you know, how to paint would have just killed me. But to watch a five minute video on YouTube just to get a technique, a very rough technique, it, it gets me started. And it gets me going. Oh. How, how do you feel about um, having spent a whole day doing manual labor, you know, working with your hands, and now you're going to retreat to the keyboard and talk about technology and, you know, uh, everything at your fingertips? Well, I think it makes me appreciate, uh, as I said, the, the, the learning cycles and how they've changed. Um, not to bring it back to technology all the time. I think the, just using... It's what we're here for. Yeah, I know. Exactly. Um, but to, to be able to get in and just, I don't know, get stuff done was was good fun but i didn't use as much technology as i thought so i like to see maybe more innovation in the uh in the painting space the the home improvement space you know give it time put something on the wall and it just like it recognizes the area and then just covers it in the amount of paint that's needed Uh, yeah some sort of suction cup and uh yeah i'm not sure why don't you just have a hologram wall uh if the power goes down then no one can come now you can just see the bare concrete yeah exactly yeah fantastic (laughs) On this episode, we've got flying cars and a quick follow-up on some recent Apple news. All that and what we're excited about this week coming right up. No, no, we don't pause anymore. Okay. We just roll We just leave in. that. <laughs> leave it for the people. So, Curtis, flying cars. Something you wanted to talk about this week? I think uh, interesting that, uh, you know, we're always, we always seem to be talking about some sort of cars and I wouldn't have ever really uh, classified either of us being car people but there's something about this news that's obviously um captivated you we've had flying cars you know sort of um uh in popular culture we've had mm. sort of uh you know you back to the future deloreans um all that sort of stuff yep um and you know sort of this week we're seeing the uh what is what the launch or the announcement of um toyota partnering with um uh like a uh, a company called i think joby which uh, or joby tbd um please please write in yeah Correct joby us. Uh, also Samsung, um, <laughs> to talk about, uh, I suppose, a flying car as a form of uh, transport. Um, primarily, it looks like to be some sort of um, taxi service. Mm. Um, and uh, it really looks like, uh, I suppose, uh, for listeners at home, it looks like a bit like a Gulfstream jet uh, with, you know, sort of six or seven propellers on it. For, for our listeners out there that don't know what a Gulfstream jet is. It's a normal private jet, like a normal jet. Oh, thank you. 
Like a small jet. <laughs> like not a big jet, a small jet. Like a G6. Oh, right. That's what the that, G stands now, for now, yeah, in right. G6. Really? Yeah, Gulfstream. Wow. For our listeners out there. <laughs> <laughs> for our podcast hosts yeah. that are unfamiliar <laughs> with the Gulfstream. Yeah, I only know uh, G6 from Tropic Thunder as well, you know. Yeah. So, um, and the other, that other song. Uh, no, no, no. Like, where we have, like it's the G6 magazine. Yeah. Gulfstream. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's the sixth version of the Gulfstream. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. So I think yeah. that uh, from a, I suppose a technology um, standpoint, I think it's it's increasingly interesting the way that um, transport is seems to be being factored into um, or being increasingly influenced by technology, um, and that uh, you know we've sort of personalised a lot of our communications or sort of techified our communications, a lot of our experiences, and yet sort of um, sort of transport seems to be one of the last kind of phases where technology seems to be sort of leaping or keeping up with the imagination that we have for it. I'm uh, so so this this particular article um, that we had a read on Maddie and and it it stems from the VTOLs so the vertical takeoff and landing uh, paper that was written by Uber and I'm pretty sure we did a podcast about it but it might not it might be in the archive if you know what I'm saying yeah um, so one of the earlier attempts yeah that's right and so unlike our latest <laughs> more successful attempts <laughs> tell me what that G stands for again um, gravity but, yeah nice uh, but. The, the, the concept of the flying car is not, uh, you know, unknown to society. And I think that's what is so interesting is, is when you see big brands getting behind it. And so what Uber had put out there was really just conceptual, very, very conceptual. Um, you know, almost, I think it was 12 months ago, it would have been longer uh, based on when we recorded that podcast. <laughs> but, um, but, but to hear uh, that Toyota is getting behind it as well is quite exciting. I, I, I don't foresee um, it in maybe the next five years, maybe not even 10 being sort of commercially viable, but technology grows at such a rapid pace. So I, I think one prototype, get it working, see what the results are, because until then it's all speculative and, and no one's really going to jump into that market except for maybe Elon. Um, and I mean, I, I only bring him up because your best friend. Yeah, exactly. God. Um, but you know, I was walking through the shops today and I saw some Teslas and I saw the Model X and I was like, man, I wish I had like 200 grand just to drop right now. Cause it's Don't a, we all? Because it has a DeLorean, you know. Oh, yeah, the Gullwing doors. Yeah. yeah. The what's that? The G doors. Gullwings, oh, yeah. G- the G-wing doors. <laughs> G-wing doors, great. Um, and it, it's, it's, it's somebody that is willing to take that, that initial step for, for the betterment of everyone, you know? Like it's um, the, the Uber paper that they published would take you from like one part of LA, uh, sorry, San Fran to LA or something within 20 minutes versus a six hour drive or something. I can't really remember the details of it, but it was, it revolutionizes, revolutionizes the way we travel. And whilst it may not overtake long haul flights, long haul flights still have a place, but it is a taxi service that I hope everyone can use, you know, because the roads are going to just get more and more congested, um, more and more pollution until we have electric cars that are unified across, you know, the world. Um, I suppose from an aesthetic perspective, I'm really interested in that um, we sort of conceive of the future and of flying cars and all that sort of thing as being mm. a lot more sleek and sort of sophisticated than and that it sort of naturally is. And, you know, there's a, I think um, we see sort of like uh, a lot of like laser technologies or like thrusters and that sort of stuff in like the popular conception of it. And so it's interesting to me that um, the sort of design of this really does look like, you know, sort of just uh, almost like just a normal plane sort of helicopter sort of components of it. And it's so interesting that um, you can take something that seems so mechanical and nuts and bolts and really apply it to 
something that's so sort of exotically futuristic. Well, I think the uh, just to, the propellers allow it to sort of go up and down, whereas you know a vertical takeoff and landing. Exactly right. Yeah. Exactly right. And which is very similar to the model that uh, that Uber had. So yeah. it lo- looks almost identical. So it is that nimble looking jet with some propellers on it, so that it, it can just go sort of up and directly up and down. I think what'll be uh, interesting is that uh, at the moment where we seem to be struggling sort of as a society in terms of like regulation side of things mm-hmm. is that uh, we've got, you know, sort of drone regulations that people can only fly in certain ranges and only sort of certain areas and certainly um, the law sort of uh, advocates that there's a certain distance above your property that's your personal property um, and uh, one of the sort of challenges that I see for this uh, being sort of widespread adoption is how do you sort of... Um, manage people navigating anywhere they want to um it'll be so interesting to see the way that we transform sort of what can be you know any kind of like three-dimensional travel uh into something that will have like organic sort of lanes and bypasses and that kind of experience and sort of the regulation of that kind of space well that's that's the beauty of uh automation right so you've got a taxi service so it's not it's not go buy a flying car it's get in this flying car that is also a taxi and so uh programmers create this uh 3D highway that yep. these these Toyota Joby Samsung ma- machines uh, will fly on yep. and and like I love that I think it, it means that we don't have to create bridges for you know for 15 lane highways you know it, it's it's using the space that is available to us um, in in a much different way of thinking and so it wouldn't be I want to go to a mate's house I'm going to get a Joby Toyota Samsung. Uh, G6 plane, uh, you know, uh, I'm going to go from Brisbane to Sydney, Brisbane to Auckland, you know, and instead of it taking three hours, it's, you know, I don't have to miss that business meeting, I'll, I'll just get there in 20 minutes. Well, you've got a personalised form of transportation as well. Yeah. I think that, um, uh, you know, the one thing that you distinguish between like sort of a helicopter or a plane in this sort of instance is that it's supposed to be hugely flexible, hugely portable, yeah. um, be able to go anywhere, do anything in the same way that a taxi service currently operates. Yeah. And I think that um, that's really interesting and in that uh, that almost becomes like a public utility, um, like, a, uh, like a public transport service, rather than sort of a one-to-one person delivery system. Certainly in terms of the prototype the sort of design there where it's got sort of 16, 24 seats, like the size of a private jet sort yeah. of naturally, um, it'll be interesting to see um, at what stage does this kind of um, sort of, you know, we wouldn't say like mass transportation, but certainly significant transportation, um, get to the level of sort of like a personal two-door coupe version um, that, uh, you know, can take you in the same distance. And I think that's what the Uber model was always based on. It was one or two in the cockpit. It was never like a six, like a bus almost. And, and yeah, I agree. I think it, it, it is uh, probably going to be more you know, posted at airports where there is a lot more regulation around it. But again, that, that's why I love the beauty of these 3D highways being created. You're not flying in a plane at 30,000 feet. Um, you might just zip up into the air and across at whatever's a safe level based on regulation. And, and those laws, you, they're kind of building the technology to the law rather than the like, other way around. Like create, like the law is not causing, I don't know, maybe they will, it will cause a lot of issues I certainly think that um, it's very brave for sort of an organisation of that kind of size to start looking towards the future there. Mm. I think that one of the things that I'm really interested in about transportation at the moment, certainly cars, which I think we've talked about previously, yep. is that um, you know sort of the petrol model has really been largely abandoned in terms of R&D. No one's looking at making a better petrol car. People are only looking at batteries. They're only looking at driverless. They're only looking at sort of what can they actually do to um, you know sort of create... 
the cars of the future now or, or start to, I suppose, put the groundwork in now. I think one of the, the most interesting things that we're going to see as a quirk of sort of the 20th century is that, you know, people used to get in these 700 kilo death machines um, that were subject to human error and sort of uh, go out on the road and, you know, so many people... Are, yeah, and, and so many people's lives have been lost as a result of that. Yeah. Whereas I think that, uh, you know, when we start looking at this kind of like automation systems and these kinds of like technology where um, everything is geared towards safety yeah. and it's increasingly geared towards sort of like a car accident will be the, you know, will be an aberration rather than sort of something that we live with the risk of every day. So what, what is your opinion then on that Tesla that had that crash? I mean, I think that that is, that's what everyone looks towards, right? Like you don't look at the 50,000 trips that have been taken prior to that with no issues. You look at that one instance where the guy swerves and the collision detection doesn't detect it and it cleans him right up. It's, you know, it's, it's such an interesting case because it's uncharted territory. Like pe- people, uh, I reckon there was a lot of backlash around that with, and it was a very unfortunate event. But at the same time, it's... It's going to happen. Like well, yeah. I think we as a, as a society need to uh, admit that or at least come to terms with the fact that you know car accidents happen and they happen sort of in any number of situations and circumstances. But uh, if we're going to be living in a driverless car society and the car is making that decision for, we need to give up some level of autonomy and realise that um, mm. you know there's going to be an agreed uh, outcome where the person inside the car will be the survivor or the person external to the car will be the survivor and the computer is going to make that decision. And I think that um, you know if we're increasingly working towards a... Uh, society where car accidents are the aberration, we need to then become more comfortable with the idea that uh, you know we will be less likely to die in the automobile, and so maybe we should be the ones inside the car being the ones that uh, are sort of uh, exposed to the most risk, and we need to sort of volunteer ourselves to accept that risk. So, uh, so at what level do you think that this this is reality, Matty? Like, is it a sexy idea? So people are writing about it, putting it out there. You know, Toyota's spruiking that they're looking at it. But it won't happen? I think it's aspirational at this stage, mm. but it's that kind of aspirational where it's just realistic enough that you can think like, yeah, cool, in five years this is going to be something that's happened. If you and I were to be offered a sort of a ride on a like personal sort of uh, VTOL um, aircraft at the moment, you know, I think that would be like such an amazing experience, but it's also not something that would be not ordinarily accessible to you and I. Mm. And I don't think that uh, this is going to be something that's... Um, for the foreseeable future in the same way as the automobile was in the um, sort of the 1920s and 1930s where it's only for the rich and famous it's only for a certain sort of portion of the wealthy people but increasingly over time it's going to be commodified and commercialised so that we're going to have access to do whatever it is that we want to do so similar to the Virgin Galactic yeah exactly yeah yeah, because that was very much the same sort of model and it's, it's stuff like this that I think makes me really excited about, you know, what does the future actually mean? And, you know, I think it's, it's sort of, as you said before, you know, taking that first step or taking that first, you know, dipping that first toe in the water is the most sort of exciting, compelling sort of reason to be interested and excited about technology. Yeah. And I think that uh, we can see the, the clunky nuts and bolts mechanics of taking a, you know, sort of previously applied use of, you know, helicopter flight and applying it to a different sort of mode of transportation yeah. and this kind of mashing of ideas is really exciting and compelling in a way that uh, I don't think, you know, you you know, you know can't really grapple with at this stage where it's actually going to go and, you know, when the thrusters are going to take hold and all that kind of stuff and those are all challenges that we have in the first place. But as a point of inspiration right now, it's doing the job. And so having been someone that's driven, uh, been driven by me, uh, would, would you rather be driven by me or, or I will take the computer yeah okay maybe maybe I would take the computer yeah I would still take the computer <laughs> so I wonder when the VTOLs will be 
owned by Amazon to courier thousands of packages. I would imagine um, it'll be interesting then when the the gap between this is sort of a public transportation and like drones um, takes over. At the moment, uh, you know, that kind of like uh, one-to-one delivery system is better serviced by a drone because they've got sort of probably less running costs. Um, There's a lot less sort of um, opportunity for pollution. You know, you want to have your like, you want to have your Domino's pizza, you want to have your like, you know, your sort of whatever... Uh, dropped off like at your door that's not going to be done by a sort of uh, vehicle of this size and scope and I think that uh, at the moment sort of the, sco- the size of the sort of the VTOL that we're looking at at the moment is that it's still the size of a private jet right yeah. even if it's got some cool sort of propellers on it or whatever like it's still you know sort of 20-30 metres wide and so that's not really going to be necessarily appealing um, for that kind of um, organisation to be using that tool to deliver but if they're distributing and they have their own private network of these, they would they could lower their distribution centers because they could move products so quickly to smaller distributors. Like I think I think it just changes the game potentially uh, once they become more commercially viable. Because right now, if you're getting stock in Australia, it, you know it's probably coming over on freight or on a on a plane. Um, whereas if it was in Australia, you know one central location, it's cheap, it's easy, and and talking to the business side. Um, then you know having one of these pick up a whole bunch of cargo and move it to Brisbane, move it to Melbourne, or if it's in Sydney, um, you know I, I can see an appeal there because the traditional routes are much slower and, and people are so instant. You know if I don't have it, I maybe won't buy it. And they're working on a model where it's that next day know, delivery or yeah, you know, delivery get, get by it. by five pm if you order after before two or something like instant that. Instant gratification. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, uh, this is just something follow. This is following up from something that we discussed uh, at the end, towards the end of last year, when we had a lot of hype and anticipation about you know the uh, iPhone ten or the iPhone X oh. or you know whatever it is. You know, one of the all time classic episodes yes. um, that we produced. Uh, you know, Top the, the, five, at least. yeah, the eternal the eternal struggle between <laughs> these, uh, and you know what do you call it? Who it is? And it's interesting that I think that we're a fairly sophisticated audience. Um, for this type of product, um, and yet we were confused by it. So it's no wonder that um, the general public has been so confused by the release of this product mm. and sort of, uh, you know, who knows what it is? Who knows what it does? What does X mean? Uh, has seemed to be a real, like, barrier to purchase, uh, you know, between that and sort of the, the fact that it's sort of, what, 150% of the original um, cost of an iPhone. You know, who'd have thought that people weren't interested in buying a $1,500 phone? And, and this is the thing that I think confused me the most. Um when you have Apple consumers, you have the loyal fan base, as we've talked about before, you have the ecosystem, you've got everything right, um, but they've sort of created this uh, price differentiation. You can get the the 8, you can get the 8 plus, or you can get the X. And It's, it's never it, been a premium product before, and people are rejecting <laughs> it in waves. Well, it's, it's um, yeah, like it, it may, potentially if they got rid of the 8 and the 8 plus and just had the X, it would, people would be buying it in droves. But, Apple have used a different methodology to their original launch and and probably subsequent launches where if you offer an alternative to the mainstream, they they don't like it. Like I I remember the SE, I think it was called. Uh, A worthy experiment, but ultimately it didn't go anywhere. It it gave people an option, but everyone just wanted Nobody took it. Yeah, everyone just wanted the iPhone. And this is like the thing that confuses me, it confused uh, us, I hope I'm not talking for you, man. But is well, I'm certainly confused right now. <laughs> is that uh, the the X had so much to offer? Like I think it gave Apple the opportunity to realize some great innovation on the product that they hadn't had for many years. Like yep. going for a bigger screen and better processor every year is nothing new, guys. Like yep. you know, get it together, get the headline sorted. 
Um, but, but then to have the sales dwindle on these products, you know, less than they expected. I don't know if this is going to deter Apple from pr- producing more or innovating more. I don't think it will, but I, I would have thought that there would have been that more uptake. Potentially, they need to lower the price. I think that they, they set the price at a premium because it is the new. It's thing. the same and cost yeah. as sort of a MacBook Air. It's the same cost as a laptop. Yeah. I think that uh, we're not ready as a consumer society then to sort of view phones as having the same sort of intrinsic importance as a laptop. Yeah. Like, I use my phone far more than I use my laptop, and I feel like I use my laptop quite a bit. But the value that I place on my phone is so much less than the value I place on my laptop particularly in terms of like the conception of like the hierarchy of devices or like yeah. you know, things that I own. The laptop is always, uh, you know, even though it's only this much more expensive than the phone device, I'm not prepared to sort of, uh, I suppose, reconfigure those options in my mind. So <coughs> the, the $1,500, like and we spoke to it last week, but the Razer phone that I talked about, yeah. when you can combine these devices, you know, that is, is pitched at a nominal price point with an accessory, which I'm sure falls within a range yep. around the iPhone X. So you're getting sort of two for a twofer, um, but yeah, just 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 to hear that the production numbers are down, to hear that those sales results have such an impact on Apple, I think it will sort of hurt the next thing. Like, why why would they release something? You know that that that's much, not that much a... further beyond what they're currently doing. Yeah. Like I think that we've been conditioned almost to have this sort of iterative approach where the new one is only just a little bit better and a yeah. little bit better and a little bit better and to have something that genuinely reconsiders or redefines what it is that you're originally working with seems to have thrown a lot of people for a loop. Yeah. And, and I, I'd, I would sort of press Apple to do something different the next time and rely on their consumers and rely on the fact that they are innovators and not give the options. Get rid of the 9, get yeah. rid of the 9 Plus, do something different. Be brave. And people will still buy it. People yep. will line up out, like you'll get people out the doors again. I don't, whilst the market share has dwindled a little bit because of people like Samsung, thanks Samsung. What uh, up Samsung? <laughs> um, you know, there's such a unique opportunity here for them to, to, to just build their brand again. Not that it's not already a consistent brand. We'll be right back in a minute to talk about what's making us excited this week. Don't go away. I'll talk to you soon. So, Maddie, what are you excited about this week? Well, I've bought a board game. Yep. It's not an unusual occurrence for me. Mm. Um, I haven't played it yet, but I want to. Yes. And I'm uh, very keen to. Um, it's called... Secret Hitler. Oh, can we say that on the podcast? We can say Hitler, and we can say Secret, oh, and we right. can say Secret Hitler. Fantastic. Um, it's the new board game from the guys who made Cards Against Humanity. Yep. Um, it uh, takes place on uh, the, la- the last day um, of the German Republic in yep. 1937, yep. just before Hitler takes power. Yeah. It's a lot like the resistance in that um, oh, some yeah. of you are on one team, some of you are on another, but um, at the table, one of you is Hitler. And he is trying to overthrow the government, and the rest of you have to work together to find out who Hitler is and overcome the fascists. So, uh, have you opened it up? Have you explored all the pieces? Have you read them? Um, well, the uh, the most uh, interesting thing that I've read so far um, has been the uh, explanatory notes, yep. saying that the best way for Hitler to win is to pretend to be a liberal um, and to go along with all the policies and wait for the right time to strike yep. and to play a patient game um, and to sow distrust, because Hitler can only come to power by causing distrust among others which I think is a, uh, wow. a, a real indictment of modern times. Yeah. Um, I'm looking forward to um, it ruining some friendships, <laughs> and I'm looking forward to um, playing it uh, at a uh, dining table near you. 
So is it uh, is it a two to play a two to sixteen player game? Like uh, how many uh, minim- minimum game? five? Oh, okay. Uh, maximum thirteen. Where does Goebbels sit in all of this? TBD, but there is a fascist team as well. Oh, okay. So uh, the, stay, stay the fascists know who Hitler is, but Hitler doesn't know who the fascists are. <laughs> and there's a liberal team who don't know who either the fascists or Hitler are. Okay, fair enough. But the liberals are always outnumber the fascists, yeah. as in life. Okay. I'm, I'm looking forward to playing. It's going to be good. Are we going to play on the podcast, or is that like not going to... I don't know, that's, that feels like we're breaking out of our genre. Yeah, okay, fair enough. But well, we can. We can, we can always report back. I'm always happy to give an update to our glowing listeners. Yeah. I like that idea, and I like the box. It's simple, uh, but kind of intriguing. Yeah, I think like you'll, I think you'll be intrigued when you open it. Yeah, just like Hitler. <laughs> simple, <laughs> intriguing. You heard it here first. Yeah. So Curtis, what are you all about this week? Yeah, many. Uh, I think this this last week, um, other than the painting from today, there we've we've had some issues with our garage where we live. So we've been looking at cars, and so on the topic of our last uh, podcast um, any innovation in cars has really stepped me back from the level of car that I can afford so I've done a number of test drives in lower ranking cars I wanted to mention the brands yep um, Samsung yeah <laughs> but they it, it just it just doesn't feel right like I, th- I feel like I'm constantly out waiting for the Tesla Model 3 because that'll be affordable. You're just settling uh, at the moment if yeah. you're going to buy a car at the moment. Yeah. And um, is there something that you've seen that's excited about any models that you've driven or? No, no, no. So you're just still excited about the Tesla 3? Yeah. Well, that's the thing. So I get in these cars and I feel like every time I drive it, unless it is prist- like absolutely pristine and perfect, um, I, I, I don't feel like it's going to stack up to the Model 3. Plus, I, I really want to get on, like, I mean, I drive a petrol car at the moment, but I'm really interested in stepping away from that when I can if and when I you can you want to get a Nissan so, Leaf yeah well if, if the Leaf was a good car um, Nissan please sponsor us but it I think it's Mitsubishi actually <laughs> no isn't it a Mitsubishi no it's a Chevy Volt yeah yeah and uh, I think the Leaf is a Nissan uh, we'll, we'll check that out yeah okay our listeners our listeners <laughs> get back to us <laughs> if anyone out there has the access to the internet yeah you got this um, but yeah, no, I see so, you lower in size. <laughs> but I think the, um, the, the like, and so walking through the shopping center today and seeing them, I, I think it was a, it was a model S and, a, and an X, as I said, but it, it just sets a different bar. Like it, it's, it, I go into these places fully expecting to drop money on a car and it just never stacks up. Yeah. And, and, and I feel like I haven't driven a Tesla and it's so naive of me to think that that is just going to be the perfect what's the, drive. What's the barrier to Oh, the cost. Until the Model 3 comes out. So the Model 3 is the consumable... Where, uh, where, uh, where is the Model 3 and when can you get it? Because uh, in the meantime, surely it's worth hanging on to the car that you have. That's what I mean. So yeah. I'm, that's why I don't want to transition because the Model 3 is due in Australia in, what, 2019, if that? Um, so to bring it back to our original discussion about the aspirational nature of um, travel, it's almost here and is. you can't wait for it. That's so why would you settle for it in the meantime? Because I, I think Tesla is, is doing some amazing It's things. worth waiting for the future. It is. You'll find links to some of the things we spoke about today on our website, missioncriticalpodcast.com. You can drop us a line at missioncriticalpodcast.gmail.com or hit us up at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash missioncriticalpodcast. Leave us an iTunes review. We will read every one and five-star reviews that are posted. We have not received any this time. No, not this week. Damn it, listeners. (laughs) Get it together. (laughs) Until next time, I'm Matt Ryan. And I'm Curtis Selleck. We'll see you real soon. Talk to you soon.